Well, in times of war, an army would raise a white flag, which would indicate their surrender. And uh, when we talk about surrender, we often think this way. We think of giving in to defeat. We think of not getting our way. Losing, we think of losing, a loss of joy, loss of fun. We're going to be unhappy. We're going to be miserable. And, but the surrender I'm talking about to God does the opposite. It actually releases victory. It brings you into joy, fulfillment. You win in life, you don't lose. But the world screams at us night and day, do not surrender. Because if you do, you're going to lose. So it tells us, tells you, assert yourself. Demand your rights. Hey, don't let them push you around. But God teaches the opposite. I'm not talking about if you're in a seriously abusive situation. If you are, you need to get out or get some help. But let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 for our key verse for this morning. Romans 12 and verse 1 says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so the reason we are invited to surrender to God is because of God's mercies toward us. Mercy means that you've been dealt with by God infinitely better than you deserve. Is that right? You deserve, I deserve, every sinner deserves to burn in the fires of hell for eternity, ever and ever. Incredible suffering and torment. And God said, I am sparing you by my mercy. You're not going to have to go there. Think about that. Is that unbelievable or what? So God says, look, if I've done that for you and I paid the price of my own son, surely you can surrender to me. The word beseech there is the strongest possible pleading. It's like a man who is dying and, and pleading for his life and saying, you know, please spare me. That's how much God is pleading with every ounce of his breath. Please, please surrender to me. But it says mercy, so it's not just that one mercy of salvation. His mercies are new every morning. So God's mercies are infinite. They're endless. And if it wasn't for God's mercies, you would be totally bankrupt in every area of life. In fact, you wouldn't be alive. You, if it, God's mercy wasn't on you, you couldn't even breathe today. Do you know that? God upholds the world by His power. And if he withdrew his mercy, this place would, the world would collapse. It would be catastrophic. It would be a million times worse than it is today. The fact that you're sitting here breathing and in church is the mercy of God. Tell the person next to you, God's been merciful to me. So merciful. So in the light of all that, he says, now come on. If I've done all that for you, so much, won't you surrender? And hand your life over completely. So Jesus himself lived a surrendered life. John 6, 38, I came down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus never did anything on his own. Never made any move, never said anything, never went anywhere without being instructed by the Father. As a man, Jesus chose full surrender. And he invites us to do the same. John 10, 17 and 18. My Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. What's Jesus saying? Think about this. 
What is Jesus saying? It's quite amazing. He's saying this. He's saying to you and to I, make no mistake. Don't be confused about this. This act of self-surrender is totally within my power to do. I am choosing myself to lay down my life. I'm not doing it because someone told me to do it. My father gave me the choice to pass up the cup and avoid the cross. He said, your choice, Jesus. But I chose to do it out of full surrender to him. And we need to make the same choice. You see, Jesus will, God will never force you to surrender. If he wanted to, he could demand that you're in church every single day of the week, seven days a week, twice on a Sunday, twice a, twice a day if you wanted. He's got the power to do that. He could force you to serve in the Christ for the rest of your life. He could force you to be the car park usher in the rain. He is power. How many of you know he could force you to do that? But he doesn't. Why? Because he wants you to choose. See, surrender must be of your own personal decision. It's a free will that God has given us, and he will never interfere with that. But my God is so, so clever. He is unbelievably smart. So you know what he just says? He says, look, Tark, I've got, and Christian, I've got this fantastic life, the promised land, milk, honey, abundance, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, you name it. I've got it for you. It's all yours. If you surrender. <laughs> Isn't he clever? You're caught, so you think, man, I, I, I want all that, but uh, I've got to give up my whole life for it. Sadly, no one here, of course, but many, many Christians just can't do it. They think, no, no, the risk, they feel the risk is too great. If I surrender all, I'll never have the things that I want in life. It's really sad. So in order to bring you to more surrender, God will send a Stephen across your path. What's that? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 6, and you're going to see what that is. He did this to the apostle Paul. Acts 6.15 says, And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as a face of an angel. And then 7 verse 55 says, This is Stephen. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. This man is devoted to God. He's being martyred saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So his face is shining. And he said, look, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they go to verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their robes, their clothes, at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul's a religious zealot. He's hungry for God, but he's got it all wrong. He's not saved. So God, in order to get him saved and also to get a man fully devoted to him, he brings a... Stephen across his path. And I can only imagine the, Stephen, the, the impact that Stephen had on Saul, that one, got him to salvation, but two, probably maybe led him to a life of incredible surrender to God and made him the great man of God he became. And over the years, I've found this in my life, that God has brought Stephens across my path, devoted Christians. I think of Ezekiel Francis in India, India's number one leading prophet. He's a man who lived for Christ at great sacrifice. He would tell me the stories of when they were reaching North India. At night it would be freezing. They'd, camp, they'd gather around, huddle around campfires. He said it was so hard. They had not a lot of food, and the, 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 the suffering was incredible. In order to reach North India, I'd hear those stories. 
I had the privilege of sharing a room with him. He had room with me as we were speaking at seminars. He'd never shared with anybody else. Uh, and I was probably the only one. And at night times, at 11 o'clock, I'd turn the lights off to go to bed. And he'd pull the sheet over his head and he'd get into prayer. And he didn't pray till 12 or 1. He'd pray for 1, 2. He'd pray for hours on end. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Tark, do you see this? Do you observe this? Then he would get given money and, you know, envelope with thousands of rupees in it. I'd say, and to get it, he wouldn't even open it. The next need he heard about, he'd just pass it on. And his life began to expose my complacency. I used to think I was surrendered. I used to think I was devoted, you know, running with fire. When I saw this, I thought, God, help me. I didn't feel condemned, but I did feel challenged. I felt convicted. Then he brought across my path Brian Bailey. I had the privilege of that man living in my home, probably one of the foremost prophets that there's, there's been in the last 50 years. A man who just walked with God and saw Jesus and visions of heaven and hell. I mean, his stories were just unbelievable. But he walked in intimacy with God. He was surrendered to live for Jesus and nothing else. And again, my personal surrender was challenged. And I want to ask you a question, and that's helped me to go deeper into God. I want to ask you this question. Who has God placed you near you? Is there a Stephen he's put around you or near you who has a greater devotion and surrender and sacrifice and passion for God? If that person is not there, plead with God to send somebody. Because these people, they're a message to you. That God is calling you to a deeper place. Why is he calling you to a deeper place? Because he's got greater fulfillment and greater things that he wants yet to do through your life. But he needs a greater surrender. God's been stirring me to greater surrender in, in the, probably the last few months. Is there a Stephen that's come across your path? Because I believe that they are among the greatest gifts that God will ever send across your, your life. Is there a Stephen? I want to suggest that churches that call people to greater surrender and devotion are among some of the greatest treasures that are upon the earth because they're fulfilling the heartbeat of God, but also it's the pathway to the promised land that God has for you and God has for me. Friends, surrender is one of the most positive messages you can ever hear because it's a gateway to the, all that God has. And you know one of our problems is this, is in surrender we have our agenda. And God says, look, get rid of your agenda. Move to surrender because I have a better agenda. Amen. And sometimes we have our lives all mapped out. And if you're like me and so many of us, you know, we are surrendered. You know, so, so we've got this area, yes, God, I surrender my family. Yes, God, I surrender my, my ministry, uh, my finances. No, I'll keep that one. Uh, God, I surrender my relationships. I, I surrender this. Uh, oh, no, God, I can't surrender. So we surrender some things, and we don't surrender other things. And so often we have our plans of what we want to do in our life and want to do this and go here and go the other thing and want this, the, the other thing. You know, God, I'll surrender everything, but God, hey, God, don't touch my career. Now, I've got that all mapped out. No, 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 don't, don't you put your hands on my business. And so we, we have all these, and I'm not saying God will take them off to you, but, you know, God wants everything surrendered to him. So get rid of your agenda. 
Amen? Move to surrender because he's got a better agenda. His plans for you are for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, his plans for you are to give you life abundantly, more abundantly. He's got it all in store for you. But the thing you've got to do is you just got to let go. You know how they catch those monkeys? They put the peanuts at the bottom of the jar, narrow neck, puts his hands in, grabs the peanuts, and he can't get the peanuts out because of, uh, because of the narrow neck. In order to get his hand out, he's got to let the peanuts go, pull his hand out, and he's free. But he won't do it, so he gets captured and killed. And friends, we have some things that we just want to hold on to, parts of our life, and God says, let it go and come into freedom, come into the promised land, come into the blessing of God. Give it over to me. I have got a much better plan than you could ever imagine in your life. But the bottom line is surrender. Beware of complacency sitting in. A man was having coffee with a policeman who had some, a can of mace in his holster, pulled it out, handed it to the man who asked him, how does it work? He said, well, you take the cap off and you spray it in a person's face. He said, does it knock the man out? He said, no. He said, it doesn't knock them out. He said, they're still conscious but inert. Inert meaning... They're doing little or nothing. They're passive. They're asleep. The man said, I've been a Baptist pastor for 20 years. He said, I understand conscious but inert. He said, 80% of the people are conscious, but they watch the other 20% do all the work. See, friends, when you're conscious but not inert, you're alive and living, you'll be among the 20% that's doing the work and not among the 80% that are watching, and all the 20% have said? Amen. I think there's less here and then the first service. <laughs> God's looking for volunteers, conscripts, not conscripts. Conscripts are motivated by law, volunteers are motivated by love. See, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, you may have read this, it was amazing. Enlistment centers all over America were packed out. People wanting to go and fight for the country, even at the cost of death. Packed out. It was jammed with boys too young to fight. Men who had retired, even the blind. One elderly man said to the recruitment officer, I would consider it my greatest privilege to die defending my country. Wow, friends. That level of commitment, I will, I will surrender, or I will actually die for my country. Friends, what makes people do that? What? Duty may be, but I think something greater, devotion. They have been captured by a cause to defend their nation. They will die for it. Here's my question for you, for me. Friends, have we been captured by a cause? Yeah. The greatest cause on planet Earth. Advancing the great kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no greater cause. There is no greater purpose in life. Has your heart, pray to God, it would be captured today by this cause where you would no longer need to be constricted, but you would volunteer and say, Lord, I will give my life if it means advancing your name and lifting it up in our community, our city, our nation, and the nations of the world. You are the greatest name above every other name on this planet, and I will do what I can to lift up the name of Jesus. 
God, you won't have to conscript me. I'm standing at the front of the queue and says, God, here I am. Tell me what to do. No conditions. I won't even choose. You choose for me. I'm going to say something to you now that you won't believe. You ready for that? When I got saved, I was saved in the fire in the 70s. And God apprehended many of us with his power. And we, believe me, we were desperate. Desperate to serve God. Honestly, we would consider it the greatest honor and privilege of God. Pick me, please. In fact, there was a Bible college being run. And some people who were not accepted in the Bible college were so bitterly dis- disappointed, even resented it. Because they so, we, there was such a longing to serve Jesus Christ. And it's almost like we would serve in, in, in any area that would let us. And it was almost like we'd be putting up our hands and saying, you know, please pick, please let me serve there. Oh, come on, let me serve. Look, anywhere, just let me serve. Those were the days of God's visitation, and it's coming back again. You watch out. You watch out. You're going to have to get in the queue to serve in our crash. You'll be about 50 people in front of you saying, no, no, they're going to say, come back in a year's time. We may have a place for you. Be on the car park roster out in the car park. You're going to say, oh, I'll serve in the car park. They say, oh, I'll come back in three years. There's a line of 250 people ahead of you wanting to serve in the car park. I can see you're getting excited about this. Yeah. Because you just don't believe it's going to happen. You wait and see. It's going to happen. Well, if you're not interested in that one, let's go to the next one. Suffering. Everyone say suffering. You might get more excited about this. Suffering can lead to surrender. There's many kinds of suffering, physical pain, mental anguish, emotional distress, loss of hope, financial hardship. Every believer will face some suffering. How do you handle suffering? Let me give you three very simple keys. Number one, number one is <clears throat> do not be shocked when you suffer. Now, I'm not trying to minimize anyone's suffering, all right? So I'll try and do this sensitively. But friends, it is the biblical pattern of Scripture. Okay, just, just read the book. Start with uh, Abraham, then go to Moses and David and, and Joseph and Esther and, and Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and Peter and Paul and your Friends, they all suffered. Okay, so why would you be the exception? <laughs> it's, just, it's not going to happen. So understanding gives strength. When you understand that suffering's going to come your way, it'll give you real strength and it won't bowl you over. The second key is this. You've got to realize God's always up to something good, even if you can't see it. You might say, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. You better back that up with something. I'm glad you asked me to. Because Romans 8, 28 says, we know, everyone say, we know, what? That all things, that's pretty quiet, all things, yeah, work together for good for those who love God. We know that we know that we know that we know. We know, we've got no doubt that all things, not some things, not a few things, not most things. My Bible says all things. I looked it up in the Latin, which I studied at school. I looked it up in French, which I did it in the fourth form. I looked it up in the Greek, the Hebrew, the Indian, the Mexican, and the Hindi. And when I looked up all, do you know what it means? All, all things work together for good. But hey, don't stop there. For who? Yeah, those who love God and are fully surrendered to Him. That's what it means to love God. Hey, if you don't have that full surrender and love for God, you can't, I don't think you can claim that verse. Let's move on to the next point quickly. Well, someone throws a stone at me. <laughs> Number three, the third key is let suffering drive you to greater surrender to God. I've noticed this over the years. People suffer, and some 
run away from God and run away from church. I think, are you out of your mind? Like, what's out there? The devil in the deep blue sea. Why would you go there? Come on, think. Where is all your help? It's in God. So when you suffer, run into God. Run to Him. He is the rock of ages. He is your strength. He is your exceeding great reward. He is your shield and your defender. He is the lover of your soul. Why would you run away from the one alone who can help you? They said to Peter, Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to go as well? He said, where else can we go? You have the words of life. When you're suffering, it's a wonderful thing in the sense that it can, can bring you closer to Jesus. And friends, that's priceless. There's nothing worth more than getting closer to Jesus. That is the ultimate prize. So if you're suffering, maybe other stuff's not working out, but let it drive you in to Jesus. You see, one preacher calls suffering the school of surrender. So if you're in that school of surrender, that's, you get your suffering, so he's put you in a school of surrender. Because when we're suffering, we say to the Lord, God, I can't handle this. I'm desperate. God, this is just too hard. And Jesus says, do you know what he says? Good. Yeah, good. Hand it over to me. Surrender. And I'll take care of it. That's what suffering can do. Do you know the impact of suffering and persecution around the world is astounding? Because suffering leads to surrender to Jesus. In fact, often explosive growth is in nations where the suffering is the greatest. Do you know the country where the church or the body of Christ is experiencing the fastest growth in the world? Here, yeah, let me tell you. It's in Iran, in the Middle East. They say the church is growing at 20% per year. Some say... Some sources say it grew from a few hundred in 1979 to 5 million today. 5 million! How many born-again Christians do we have in New Zealand, church? Roughly 250,000. Mm-hmm. 4%, roughly, of our population. 10% would be, yes, about that, about 4 5%. Iran? You know, we, we, we pray for God and be merciful on these countries. By all means, pray for Iran. But for goodness sake, friends, pray for New Zealand. We are desperate for an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. We are desperate for God to move in our land. How many of you know that? About five of us. Well, I'll preach on anyway. Friends, our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. Unless we arise up and do something about it, I fear for your kids and grandkids because this nation is going down a hole and we need to rise up and stand against it. You know, in China, Mayo expelled missionaries and a lot of suffering followed. The church has grown from 900,000 to at least 80 million people. Some people say God will cause this church to grow and he gives us two options. Go the way of surrender or go the way of persecution. Take your pick. How many people prefer surrender? How many prefer persecution? Yeah. Hey, let's go for surrender, friends. And let's see God move in our nation. See, surrender will also bring, you know, in contrast to Iran and Iraq, the church in the West is pretty much declining. It's not happening. 
Surrender brings contentment. Many Christians live in continual discontent. Have you noticed that? Just never satisfied. with what they have. They're forever looking to the future thinking, if I can just do this, if I can just have that, if this changes, I'll be happy. But their fulfillment never arrives. It never comes. Do you know why it never comes, friends? Fulfillment is not out there. It's an inside job. Fulfillment is knowing Jesus and walking with Him and loving Him more and more. That's where fulfillment comes from. You can have everything going well for you on the outside and still be fully discontented on the inside. Paul put it this way, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, how many of you know Paul suffered immensely? You know, shipwrecked, beaten in the water and stoned and, and persecuted. And, I mean, thorn in the flesh. I mean, this guy suffered. And he says, I've learned whatever state I am in to be content. So Paul would say, today I am content. Can you say that? Today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when there's no, no, today I am content. That tells me you've come to a place of real surrender. And you're satisfied with what God is doing in and through your life. Don't look to the outside, friends, look to the inside. So Paul put, put it this way, I know how to be abased. Yeah? I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer me. So it's neat. He says, hey, whether everything's going fantastic or everything is a disaster, I have learned to be content. Can you see, friends, the incredible blessings of a surrendered life? It's just so unbelievably good. That's why we preach a message like this, because the truth will set you free. Do you know one way to know or measure your surrenderedness? Are you ready for this? When sacrifice for Jesus becomes a joy. Huh? Because uh, the, the Holy Spirit it, it loves sacrifice. Jesus loves sacrifice. He led the way. And when you were able to sacrifice and it's just a joy for Jesus, well, then we know that we are surrendered. My final point is this. Surrender will leave a godly legacy. You know, one of the greatest callings you have in life is to leave a godly legacy to, your, to those around you. You see, everything you do is a seed sown to the next generation. Think about that. Tomorrow, today, next week. Everything you do, everything. The moment you get up, the moment you go to sleep. Everything you do is a seed sown into the next generation. Does that make sense? That's what it was. A seed sown in the next generation. So I'm hugely motivated to leave a godly legacy for my daughter, for Jody, for my son-in-law, for Sam, for my grandchildren, for Emma, and for Zach, and also to leave a godly legacy for every single person in this room here today. So I live my life before God and do things with you in mind. Because I know how I live is a seed being sown into your life. And that's going to be my legacy. And by the grace of God, I want to live out before you a life of devotion to Jesus Christ, a life of surrender, of pursuing God with every ounce of strength and energy that He might give me, of fulfilling His call and destiny for my life, to try and be as much like Jesus as I possibly can, 
and to be an example and a role model because that friend is going to be my legacy. And you know, once I've gone, my life will still speak. I think Apostle Paul, he's been dead for thousands of years, a long time, <laughs> trying to think on my feet. Yeah, thousands of years. He's been dead a long, long time. But friends, does his life still challenge you? Does his life still speak to you? That's his legacy of a life lived for Jesus. And you're going to leave a legacy too. Well, after you're gone, I think your greatest fruit will be after you've actually gone. Because if God, if God tarries, hundreds of generation after generation after generation is going to know your legacy and live according to it or be inspired and challenged by it. We had a very powerful youth service two Sunday nights ago. Some parents got up on the platform and shared some things that were deeply impacting to me. I've never heard it quite put this way. But they said two things. They said first that our children watch more than they listen. So you can tell your children, do this, do that, and come, blah, 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 blah. Forget all that, friends. That's a part of it. But they actually watch more than they listen. And then they said this. They said, if we want our children to be in church on Sundays... We have to model it by making attending church every Sunday a non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Every Sunday without fail. Because what happens is the children, they won't, they won't, you might say, oh, I love God, you know, serve in the church, go in church. They'll hear that, but more than that, they're going to watch. They'll watch what you do. And then they went on from that and said another thing. That was very challenging too. They spoke of the importance of parent, parents taking their time to, to get their children to youth group, like to MP. Why? So they don't become a part of the 80% of kids raised in Christian homes who backslide as teenagers. And they brought out how their kids, when it was difficult years, it was being a part of the youth that got them through those years. And friends, when the chips are down, and even if you're a young person who can drive yourself to, to MP or youth, I want to encourage you to get there. Parents, I want to encourage you to get your youth there because when, when, when all hell breaks loose in their teenage years and they need support and help and prayer, friends, they're not going to find it in the world. They will find it among Christian brothers and sisters of their own age among the youth. So important, friends. And you know, but to do that, to get to church every Sunday, mm-hmm, to drive your kids to youth, what does that take? Surrender. Yeah, takes time. Out of your day, it takes effort, takes energy. I'm glad my daughter, you know, went through youth, never, never, basically never missed it, went through all the stuff. And, you know, today she's in church. Gosh, she's in church. She's in a morning, night, and prayer meeting every single week. It's, it's just amazing. But it's been established, friends, not by what I said to her, but what I lived out in front of her. Surrender is a pathway to the riches of God, to His wonders, His favor, His blessing, His goodness. It's a pathway into all the wonderful things that your God has planned for you. The wisest, most fantastic thing that you could ever do with your life is raise a white flag and say, Jesus, I surrender all, everything, totally, completely to you. I'm ripping up my agenda. I'm moving to surrender 
because I know you've got a better agenda. Amen? Yeah.